Gentlemen. Yeah. Just a round of applause for the microphone working. Um, welcome to uh, the Fumbly staff training, as it was sold to us. <laughs> they have a lot of staff, Colin. Yeah, yeah, I think we've been duped here. So, um, yeah, we were asked to come along and speak uh, to the staff here, and then we thought, why don't we just invite everybody and drink beer and have fun? Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of quite happy to be part of that. I'm very good at drinking beer. Um, there are some housekeeping rules. Um, if there is a fire, then every man for himself and run. Uh, don't touch it, it might hurt you. And, um, yeah, that's it. So, uh, that was what I was told to say by Chair. Um, we are going to start today with uh, Mr. Colin Harmon coming up to talk to you, uh, the very infamous Mr. Colin Harmon, uh, World Barista Championship finalist a number of times, uh, coffee shop extraordinaire, uh, now roasting extraordinaire. We don't let him do anything in the roastery, trust me. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, Colin is the brains behind 3FE. Uh, I am the stupidity behind 3FE. Um, so what we're going to do, first of all, is going to talk to you a little bit about... Uh, about coffee preparation, uh, making, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, coffee sourcing and how we source our coffee at 3FE and at my other business has been. So um, I'll stop waffling, and I think we need a big round of applause to encourage him because he's very nervous, Mr. Colin Harmon. Wow. Uh, the first time we did a coffee talk in Dublin, two people came. Two people, so this is, uh, this is amazing. It's kind of like that scene from Life of Brian from this angle, but you guys can't see that, but anyway. Okay, so what I want to do is talk about, um, I, as Steve said, I am Colin Harmon, and I run 3FE, and what I want to do today is talk to you about uh, the development of a grinder that I worked on called uh, the Mythos Grinder, and talk you through, if, can I get a show of hands, who's made coffee for a living? So pretty much, uh, yeah. Who hates grinders? Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's the sole motivation for the grinder. Um, so about four years ago, I was asked uh, by Nuovo Simonelli to be part of a project to build an espresso grinder. And I, like everybody else, hate grinders. And uh, I, would, I jumped at the chance. I thought it would take maybe nine months or so. Uh, it took the guts of four years to develop. So you'll see in the photograph behind me, um, on the far right, we have Mr. Gwillem Davies, World Burst Champion 2009. We have Mr. James Hoffman, World Burst Champion 2007. Uh, Fritz Storm, World Versus Champion in 2002, and I've never won the World Versus Championships, so my job was to make tea, uh, and they bullied me quite a lot. Uh, I'm sorry about the quality of the photograph. It's the only one I could find with all four of us in it, so you'll have to do it. James Hoffman, in particular, gets very annoyed at me for using this one, so... Um, I'll just, uh... <laughs> so, if you make specialty coffee, uh, there are generally uh, three ways that it's been done. The first way is this way. So we have a floating dose and beverage mass, but a fixed ratio. Now this is how we made coffee at 3FE. So let's say, for example, that you're going to, you're going to use a fixed ratio of, let's say, 2 to 1. So you dose 18 grams, uh, you're going to go to 36. If your grinder gives you 20 grams, you're going to go to 40. That makes sense? So your ratio stays the same, but your dose and your beverage mass keep changing all the time because your grinder is quite erratic. The second one is this one, fixed dose, fixed beverage mass. You decide that you're going to do exactly 19 grams every time, and you're going to go exactly 38 grams every time. And this involves a lot of spooning in or spooning out, and it takes forever, and it's not very uh, feasible in a very busy environment. Okay, so the, both these places produce pretty decent coffee. It's hard for them to run as businesses, though, in my experience. 
third type of specialty coffee shop is this one. Happy to be involved. Uh, it might sound like I'm being facetious when I say this, but actually like this is 90% of coffee shops. And these are the people that buy excellent coffee, excellent grinders, excellent machines, and they really want to be doing one of the pre previous two other options. But when it gets busy, they kind of get lost. It starts to slip, the quality drops, and they just try to do the best that they can until they can dial in a little bit better when things quieten down. This is the future of specialty coffee. If we could find a grinder that would help make these people ensure the coffee had better quality and more accuracy, then specialty coffee will grow. And this is the true driving force behind the project. Uh, I want to talk to you through the problems. What we did at the start was to create a, uh, get a whiteboard and just to write all the problems that we had. Um, I've been to the US, China, uh, Paris, going to Australia, to Hong Kong, China, everywhere. Everybody has the same problems. Everybody has the same problems. Start with a small one. Noise. Grinders are noisy. We wanted to create a grinder that was quiet. Seems like a very simple thing. The next one is dose consistency. This is a huge problem. So when we met with the engineers in Orvis and Minnelli, uh, we talked to them about how we use grinders. And a lot of grinders that we use today are used in a way that they weren't designed for. Most of them are designed to fill with coffee and that you use that coffee over the period of your service. And we don't use them that way. So when I said that we wanted a consistent dose every single time, they said, well, fill that big doser at the front. I said, we want a fresh. And they went, OK. Because they never asked anybody before. Nobody had ever told them this before. So this was a huge step forward for us. Temperature, we were uh, kind of cognizant of. We didn't understand really a lot about it. Our understanding was that when grinders got busy, they got hot. When they got hot, the coffee tastes bad. Everybody else have that experience? Yeah. So we were like, we want to be controlling the temperature to make sure that the coffee doesn't get bad. Waste. Uh, this is usually the bit where cafe owners go, OK, and then baristas go, boring. Uh, we kind of lose them. Um, this is quite interesting, though. I mean, look at it in this terms. This is a standard 30, or 30 kilo cafe. If you use seven shots to dial in in the morning, say you're dosing 20 grams, it brings you 140 grams. 15 tunes in a day is where you pull a shot. It doesn't look very good. So then you discard that coffee and you go again. So if you did that 15 times in a day, which is quite conservative, I think you'll agree. Uh, that's wasting 300 grams of coffee, brings us to 440. Uh, three purges, so you, you reset your, your grind. Now you've got about 50 to 70 grams of coffee around your burst set and in your throat in most standard grinders. You've got to get rid of all that. Do that three times in a day, which again is very conservative, brings it up to 590, seven days a week, 4.13 kilos. 52 weeks in a year is a hell of a lot of coffee that I've forgotten to put into that slide. Uh, but what we figured out is in an average shop with conservative estimates, you're getting 15% waste on the coffee that you're buying. And the equivalent of that is giving you, where's Luca? Would you like two euros 69 off every kilo you buy? I don't, but thank you for saying you would. <laughs> this is incredible. So if you're a barista and you're bored by the waste, think about the money that a, a cafe could save. Uh, every coffee shop owner I know, well, 95% of them anyway, want to pay the staff more. And if we can make specialty coffee shops more viable, we can pay the staff more, buy better equipment, and the industry will thrive. The throat, like I mentioned, 50 to 70 grams in most standard grinders. We needed to get rid of that. We wanted the grinder to be affordable. There's no point in designing a grinder that solved all the problems if it cost 10 grand. 
If you want to buy it for 10 grand, I'll sell it for that though. Uh, cleaning and maintenance. We need to be able to clean the grinders. A lot of the grinders, you feel like you're breaking them when you're taking them apart for cleaning. If you think the cleaning isn't really a big issue, not only does it burn out your motors, but in the course of this project, one of the strangest things that we learned was we were measuring extractions and I wanted to get another 0.5% extraction before we went to market. And I called the factory, I said, we need to just push this a little bit further. And the engineer, a guy called Marrow, said, have you tried taking out the burrs and washing them in soap? I said, no, I haven't called a witch doctor either though. Um, so he said, no, definitely, just take them out, wash them in soap, and we went, okay, right. So we took them out, we washed them in soap, and we got an extra percent on the extraction. So this, from, now, from then on, we wash the burrs in soap every week and make sure we do it consistently. So it's very, very important. In terms of maintenance, you want to be able to change your burrs, get in and out there very, very quickly, and do that as part of your service on bar and not feel like you're breaking things. The footprint, very important. More so the width of it than the depth of it, but it needs to be able to fit on the bar and not get too much in the way. The dosing chamber was something that we agreed we all wanted to get rid of. Nobody kind of misses doing this every day. But the problem with it was is that we often found that the, the grinding of a how the coffee grinds, depending on the cycle of it, would often mean that it would be distributed unevenly in the basket, which would mean that you get in uneven distribution out of the basket. So in that scenario, we would have to actually put in a doser to mix it all up. So we agreed that we would prefer not to have one, but given the need, we would put one in. This one's very important. Anyone who's ever done barista competition knows how much that extra 20 seconds makes. And in a bar scenario, when you're running a shop, the ability to be able to work things into your routine and be able to dose something, sell a muffin, come back, pour some milk, go back, take some cash, and then start uh, pouring and steaming. All those sort of overlaps of jobs are what drives a coffee shop. We would like it to look pretty. People often walk into coffee shops and they say, wow, that's an amazing espresso machine. But I don't think I'd ever heard anybody walk into a coffee shop and say, well, that's an amazing coffee grinder. So we wanted to build something that was aesthetically pleasing. The grind profile is something that's kind of funny to talk about because in reality, none of us really know an awful lot about grind profiles, uh, especially espresso grind profiles because by definition, they're quite inefficient. But we wanted to be cognizant of what we're doing with it. And I really believe that we're only at the beginning of what espresso grind profiles um, can do and understanding what they do. Stepless and fixed. So we wanted to, I have a grinder in the shop um, that this is too fine and this is too coarse. And I can't get in between. So we wanted it to be stepless. Now there's another grinder that we have that it's stepless, but once you set it, once it gets busy, it starts to slide. So we wanted a grinder that not only was able to move very, very small amounts, but once you fix it there, it would stay there. So these are all very, these are probably the problems that you've always had. Uh, and we wrote these all on the board and we decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to fix it. Um, I'm not sure how many of you watched The Simpsons, but uh, <laughs> I'll explain this for context. So the gentleman on the right hand side is Unky Herb and he is Homer's long lost brother. And Unky Herb is a multimillionaire and he owns a car factory. And when he finds Homer is his long lost brother, he decides that Homer is going to design a grinder, or a grinder, a car. That, uh, <laughs> a car to solve the average American's problems. And then Homer goes away and designs this monstrosity with two big bubbles and I think it has 20 cup holders. And of course, bankrupts the company and Unky Herb loses everything. And this, uh, this car became kind of like a, a joke for us. So Steve used to call me and ask me, 
how's the old homer grinder coming? <laughs> and uh, we were quite cognizant of the fact that we needed to create something that wasn't just solving barista problems for the sake of it, but actually could function very well. Uh, the head engineer at Nuova Simonelli is a guy called Laro Fioretti. Uh, he's a wonderful man. And he always said to me that there's a difference between what's possible and what's necessary. And that was something that we always stuck to. The learnings in the course of this uh, project were quite humbling at times. Uh, this phrase kept popping up, pocket science. And this was uh, something that we kept referring to for when we gave uh, reasons or excuses behind why coffee or grinders or machines behaved a certain way. And we had the help of the University of Ancona in this project, and very often the professors would listen to us and kind of snigger to themselves. Uh, one such scenario was, and I'm sure all of you have heard this, was that they would say, why is your coffee getting coarser? And we'd say, well, uh, we can see it's getting coarser. You come in the morning, you dial in your shots, uh, it tastes good, you get busier, the shots get faster, you go finer, you get busier, shots go faster, you go finer, and you're going finer, 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 finer over the course of the day. End of the day, you whack it back to course, and you start that process all over the day, again the next day. And they said, well, why is it getting coarser? We said, well, coffee grinders are like car engines, and they have motors in them. And when motors run uh, over and over, they, be they begin to heat up. And when they heat up, they become more efficient. And when they become more efficient, they work better. And when they work better, they grind coffee faster. And when the coffee is ground faster, it's coarser, and therefore the shots run faster. And they went, that is amazing, but it's not true. <laughs> uh, and this is the problem for coffee uh, professionals and baristas, is that we don't, uh, research is really expensive. It's really expensive, it's hard to do. And all we have is theories in our head that we think explain why things are happening. Pocket sites. Conical versus flat burrs. What we learned is that conical burrs are faster, but in blind tests, we all preferred the flat burrs. This is some of the equipment that we got to use. So on the far left here, on the bottom ridge, you'll see that yellow area, this is thermal imaging camera. This shows the uneven extraction that I was talking about when the copy was being distributed uh, unevenly. Um, the other equipment you can see is a photospectrometer. What this does is that it takes photographs of coffee grounds and it plots them then on a graph to show you what size coffee grounds have been made. There's also a third piece of equipment that we used, which was a laser, and they drop coffee grounds through the laser, and then that would feed information into a computer, which would tell you not just the size of the coffee grounds, but also the shape. And what we found with burrs was that flat burrs gave us a, a rounder shape, whereas the conical burrs gave us a more hair-like shape. But they were the same size, if that makes sense. Yeah? So this is a, another very important thing. Pete Williams will remember this. Uh, <laughs> so Monday mornings we'd come in and we'd find boxes and boxes and boxes of burrs. Get out. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, and this is the very, very frustrating part. So the one, the second from the left on the top, uh, this became known as the purple burrs. And this made the best espresso that I ever tasted. One time in 20. Uh, and it was incredibly frustrating. We tried so hard to get it working, but it just wasn't consistent. Uh, another one that was quite interesting was the third one from the left on the second row down. Now, most of you will see this and realize it looks quite like a filter grinder. We got very, very excited about this. We said, we're going to grind espresso like nobody has ground before. And this is going to revolutionize espresso in our industry. And the only problem with this was that it didn't work uh, at all. So that also went out. But these are only some of the burr sets that we had. And this process was incredibly, incredibly frustrating, testing all of these over and over again. Then we learned that Italian design wasn't always what it's meant to be. 
so this was after a conversation with Cosimo Lobardo, the sales director, where he asked me to tell nobody about the grinder. It was top secret, and it wasn't to be, uh, wasn't to be revealed to anybody. And we plugged it in, and the disco lights came on. Uh, so it was quite hard to hide this in the coffee shop. But again, that didn't make it past design stage. This seems like a really, really boring thing to talk about. Exit speed. Exit speed is essentially how fast the coffee is exiting your grinder. Yeah. <laughs> so what we found was that if it exits too fast, it sprays everywhere and you get lots of static. Everybody gets coffee beards. Um, if it exits too slowly, everything starts to clump. And if it clumps, you get uneven extractions. And also, the burrs would back up, get jammed at coffee, and stop working. So if you could regulate the speed the coffee exited the burr set, you would stop either of those two things happening. But also, you could make the dose more consistent. But then trying to regulate that with RPMs in the motor and whatever burr set you're supposed to be using made this very, very difficult indeed. This is the question that we kept coming back to. Is the coffee getting coarser? Of course, it's getting coarser. We're starting, we're dialing it in, everything's great. Chop gets busy, and the shots start to get faster. We go finer, it gets busier, shots get faster. Over and over again, everybody knows it's getting coarser. The scientists came back to us, and they said, it's not getting coarser. And we said, it is. And they said, how do you know? We said, uh, we're baristas. <laughs> that didn't fly. Uh, they said, it is 100% not getting coarser. So we looked, and said, like, what is the answer? Why is this happening? We can clearly see the shots are getting faster. Hot coffee behaves coarser. Yeah, I had to think about that one too for a while. So what they came back to us was that when you grind coffee at room temperature, all the stuff that you want to dissolve into your beverage is solid at room temperature. And that creates a certain amount of resistance when the hot water hits it in your espresso machine. When your grinder heats up and everything gets really, really hot as you get busier and busier, all of that stuff that's at room temperature and is solid starts becoming fluid, starts to melt. And once it melts, it creates less resistance, and your shots go faster. Make sense? It almost sounds like pocket science. It's that simple. But once they told us to us, we, it was incredible. It was like this moment where we realized that this is the problem. So before, it's not that your coffee is hot that makes, uh, that's the problem, or that your coffee is cold. It's like your coffee is changing temperatures. And if your coffee is changing temperatures, your flow rate changes, and your extraction changes, and thus your taste changes. Make sense? So I want to show you some uh, information they sent back to us. This is a, a particle size distribution graph. Uh, I used to go to a lot of copy talks, and they'd show these things, and i go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what that says. Uh, so what you can see here is that, um, for example, 60% of the copy. Let's see. And what this does is that it graphs the size of the coffee. Now, what's actually quite difficult to see in here is that there's a green line, a blue line, and a red line. And the blue line is ground at 20 degrees. The red line is ground at 80 degrees. And the green line is the average of both. And what you can see here is that this little gap here is the difference. It's minuscule. It's so small that you could disregard it. It's definitely not responsible for shots getting 10 seconds faster. And this was a huge, huge breakthrough. They suggested as well that the, more, or the bigger the sample size got, the smaller that gap would get. 
This is proof that the grind size was not getting coarser. This is also interesting. This is coffee ground at 20 degrees Celsius. And on the right-hand side, you'll see uh, the shapes of the coffee. Okay? And then inside in the graph here, you can see uh, the diameter of the coffee. This is at 80 degrees. Okay? Now, I don't expect you to have memorized the last one, so I'm going to flip back and forth, okay? Again, it's almost identical. It's not getting coarser. Uh, this one costs a little bit less to uh, develop. This is my one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So this is from the University of Pocket Science. And uh, what you see here, the green line on the top, this represents uh, the temperature of the water. Okay? And in a machine like this one over here, you've got a five kilo group head. Okay? And that's 93 and a half degrees Celsius. That's going to dictate how hot your coffee is going to be in your puck. Okay? That's going to decide. You've got 100 grams of water, it's at the same temperature, and you've got 20 grams of coffee. All right? Now, what we found was that it generally takes 12, gram, or 12 seconds for the coffee to reach that water temperature. It is just a slow ramp up. Um, and it doesn't really change much depending on the, uh, the temperature of the coffee at the start. A little bit quicker. Now, the orange line could be the temperature of the coffee at, let's say, 16 degrees Celsius at room temperature. The yellow line could be at 50 degrees Celsius. And then we, we almost put a third one in where we found coffee when you're grinding when you're really, really busy up as high as 80 degrees Celsius. Now, we're talking about a 65 degree Celsius shift in the temperature of the ground coffee that you're producing for espresso. And we give espresso machine manufacturers grief over machines that need to be accurate to 0.1 of a degree Celsius. We see a 65 degree Celsius shift, and nobody was talking about it. Everybody was completely ignoring it. And that was what was really exciting about this one. So I want to talk to you the features and how we solved some of the problems. Uh, the most remarkable thing about this grinder is that it has a heating element. I'll never forget the day when Cosimo called me and said, how are you getting on? I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We're just waiting for the grinder to heat up. And it was like, wow, that's interesting. So it has a 9-watt element on the inside of the burr set. And most of the heat actually comes, that takes about 30 minutes to get it to 35 degrees Celsius. The rest of the heat that's generated by it is actually just by the friction of the burrs itself. The chimney uh, keeps it cool. So once you get it to 35, the problem then is actually stopping it skyrocketing in terms of temperature, like every other grinder does. So you see at the back of the grinder, uh, on the bottom right-hand side, air comes in here, and it comes out the side. This is far more efficient than a fan in a regular grinder. We have a grinder, and I reckon the fan in it probably creates more heat than it dissipates. So this is actually a chimney, and the chimney is the greatest, uh, more effective way of getting rid of that heat. You'll see the same technology in computer stacks. Very, very simple technology, works very well. The clump crusher is the most frustrating part of this grinder and also the most ingenious part. It's very easy for me to talk about myself and the three world champs uh, and the engineers, but it was really a world effort involved in this in different training centers around the world. The guys at Nuovo Distribution in America came up with the most ingenious piece of equipment, this tiny little piece of plastic. We launched this machine uh, last, September, last October in Host in Milan, and if you'd asked me in late August if it was going to happen, I would have said absolutely not. And they came up with this little flippy bit of plastic that somehow managed to regulate the exit speed of the grinder so that it doesn't spray, it keeps the dosing consistent, and also it doesn't back the grinder up. If this didn't happen, the grinder would not be in the market today. The heatsink. So as well as the chimney itself, we need to dissipate a bit more heat. So 
you can see here the front of it is made of aluminium. It's bigger than it needs to be because it exposes a uh, more surface area and it helps dissipate the heat. The coffee always sits between 35 and 55 degrees Celsius. Now, people always say, why? Well, and what we did was that we tasted different coffees at different grinding temperatures to see where our preference lay. The problem, like I said, is not how hot or cold your coffee is, it's that it's changing. And it's possible to keep coffee, uh, the grinder cold, it's just expensive and it's very, very difficult. At one stage, we had engine coolant running through this. We had a Peltier built into it at one stage. And none of these things really worked as well as we wanted them to work, and they were really, really expensive to do. Um, the other end of the scale, you could keep it very hot. This is something they're very reluctant to do, because if you send a grinder to market that has something that could burn you stuck on the front of it, it's not really a good thing. Health and safety don't really like that sort of stuff. So what the engineers were hoping would happen actually did happen in the very, very convenient uh, solution. We tasted all of the coffees blind at different temperatures and overwhelmingly our taste preference lay between coffee ground at between 35 and 55 degrees Celsius. Lucky. The mit micrometric adjustment is great for, the, for us because we wanted to be able to just make very slight changes and again keep it there. The zero dial is ingenious. So when you adjust your dial, the ring on the back with the numbers on it, that moves independently of the actual dial itself. So once you set your grind, you can set it to zero. Make sense? So this is really, uh, I met a guy who runs uh, a chain of cafes in Australia. So this is very impressive, seems very, very good, but it's, it goes over most of my staff's head. They won't understand it. This makes it very simple. So you could have one head barista that ru that's running the shop. He dials it in, zeroes it, and then he can keep an eye on, on how it's dialing throughout the day. Hands-free, again, back to workflow. There was the second from last grinder worked very well, but you had to stand there for seven seconds holding the portafilter. This is not convenient. This would annoy a lot of coffee shop owners and baristas. So having the cradle there that holds it so you can go off, sell some muffins, I don't know, pour some milk, do what you have to do and come back again, makes it viable. One touch display. I don't want to have to go to three layers of programming to change the seconds in my grinder. I don't have to flash a fob to it and dial in the pin code and all that sort of stuff. One up, one down, very simple. Angled burst set. This is a pre-existing technology, but it's actually worth talking about. You see that red line is the angle that the burrs lie at. And what this means is that they're sitting like this and you put the casing on top like that, okay? Now, this means that well, on a flapper set like this, you can't put the portafilter here because it'll just spray everywhere. So you need to put a throat in place. And what the throat does is it slows the coffee down, so it comes across and then drops into the portafilter. Make sense? With an angled burr set, you can grind straight into the portafilter. Straight in there. This also means that the throat in the grinder holds only two grams of coffee. If you change your grind setting, a second of grinding means you get rid of it. It's less waste. And it means your dialing in period is much, much shorter. I've never met a customer who said, you know, I went by the shop and it was really great watching the guys dial in. This never happens. People want the coffee fast. They're going to work. We need to do it much, much better. Silence. It's only really when you go and, uh, to a different shop that doesn't have one, you realize the difference. But having a grinder that is quiet and isn't too interruptive is a, is a big thing for us. The four screw access means that the grinder is accessible. You can open it up, clean it, put it back on, and keep working. Titanium burrs are interesting in the sense that they were the best balance between taste and consistency, and that's what we were looking for. 
what's very interesting, and I was talking to the engineers today about it, was that they advise us that with a dark roast coffee, you'll get 1,500 kilos through it before they start to dull. They expected our coffee to do about 1,200 because it's high grown, generally lighter roast than all Arabica. Uh, today, I think we estimate somewhere between 18 and 1,900 kilos of coffee have gone through it. The taste has not diminished. The extractions have not diminished. Uh, they look like hell. They look terrible, but it still hasn't dropped. So it's far exceeding their expectations. And the idea that I pitched them today from the University of Pocket Science was that perhaps, perhaps the reason for this is that we're regulating the temperature of the burr set, which is having a positive effect on how long the burrs last. That might be nonsense, okay? Um, but this is also, a, it's, a, a, yeah, it's indicative of how this project has evolved. The interesting thing about titanium is that it's a titanium coating, so when it starts to wear and chip, you can visually see the steel coming through, so you know it's time to change them. The auger is essentially, it's like an upside down screw on the inside, and that pulls the coffee beans in. Uh, you can run down to your last 50 grams and not even realize it sometimes. It makes everything more consistent. And the sinking burrs. Most grinders, when you take the, the burrs apart, you've got to wind them off, clean everything off, they wind it back in again and dial in again. What happens with these is that the burrs and the plate in the back sink back and forward when you adjust the grind. Now, when you take the cover off to clean and put it back on again, it's in exactly the same place. You don't need to dial in again. You've got less waste. You can serve your customers faster again. So measuring extraction. What we did was that we ran the grinder until we were happy with the taste and the service of the coffee, and that was the most important thing. And then after a lot of heckling online, people were saying, when are you going to measure? When are you going to measure? So we said, OK, we're going to start measuring now. Um, and measuring extraction is an interesting thing. Uh, and it's not the be all and end all, but it's something that we do quite well. Um, so it's important that we do it in real time. And what I mean by real time is that there was a time when I would measure my extraction first thing in the morning and it would be good, and then they go, okay, now I'm gonna open the shop. And someone would come in during the day, taste the espresso, and realize, well, this isn't tasting very well. And you'd be like, well, I dialed in this morning and it was fine. This doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's the equivalent of warming up before a football match and scoring four goals and then kicking the game off. They don't really matter. It's nice that you can do it, but it doesn't really have any apl applicable value to the game. So doing sampling in real time, actually off your bar, is really, really valuable. You can get an actual insight into how your espresso tastes, how your customers taste your espresso, not how you dial in when there's nobody watching. So this is what we wanted to measure. This is Carlos. Uh, Carlos is uh, our kitchen porter. And Carlos is uh, the brains behind the operation. The second problem with this, and I hold my hands up, I did this too, you're, you're aiming for, let's say, 19% extraction. That's what we're going to get. And you get your numbers in, and you go, 18.9. Well, if that was just a little, oh, 19. If we were all given an exam, and you were asked to mark it afterwards, I'm pretty sure we'd all do really well. So what we wanted to do was to have independent policing. So we trained the kitchen porters how to use an extract mojo. So for the first few weeks, uh, they had no idea what they were doing. They were just taking the sample, putting it in, getting the number, putting it onto a data sheet online, and it was getting logged there. And uh, so over time, they've obviously been involved a bit more, and they know what it does. Uh, but these guys have little to no interest in how good the coffee is. Uh, so it's actually independent. And what we're trying to do is to make it as much as possible a surprise. So we weigh every dose in, every dose out, and what we want is the KPs to come up 
and just take one off bar and say, I'm having this one. It's a surprise. It's an actual live reading. And this isn't in a way to catch the staff out. Everybody is bought into this. This makes us collectively good. So a coffee shop is as, is as good as the worst coffee that's served. So if there are bad coffees going out, it reflects on all of us. Because if one of us wins a competition or gets an award or something, everybody feels pride. So let's flip it on its head, and if something's bad, we all need to take responsibility for it. So this helps us get a really clear indication of how we're doing. There needs to be a timely spread. So you can see the dip in the center where the, this is where the KPs are at their busiest every day, but there needs to be throughout the day. We need to see that it's not just being read in the morning or in the afternoon. It needs to be read during the day when you're busy, uh, all, all the periods throughout the day. It needs to be consistent. Uh, we've, you know, we've failed on a couple occasions, but what we try to do is do it four times every day at least. And for the most part, we're getting that done. Uh, stay watch. Uh, <laughs> David is the guy on the right, I believe. Um, so it's funny about David because um, a lot of people, when we started 3FE, everybody that was into specialty coffee knew who David Walsh was. And I meet people today who go, well, who's David Walsh? And David Walsh is, for me, one of the main drivers of specialty coffee in this area. He works at Marco Beverage Systems, who make water boilers. And he also had a coffee blog called The Black Stuff. And David was good enough to act as an independent uh, third party in this process and came on board and also has a DAV hand of statistics. So he was help, able to help us with that as well. And having David there meant that he was the one putting his hand up and go, well, actually, that's nonsense. And we go, yeah, OK, that's true. So having Dave there was a, a huge part. This is really important. Uh, and it's, it, it's funny for me because I don't think they realize it sometimes. Um, and I go and I show people what we're doing, how we're doing it, and they go, that's incredible, and they come back, and the staff are just like, well, it's not just how it's done. Um, and without the incredible staff that we have at 3FE and driving it, because I don't make coffee at 3FE. They don't let me. I get in the way. Uh, but without having them doing this day after day and being committed to it and actually opening themselves up to criticism, this wouldn't come true. So these were the expectations. Our target was 19.5%. That's what we wanted to do. Now, uh, we got a lot of people saying, well, you know, I can get 22. I was like, well, for you. But what we want to do is 19.5%. Um, what I expected was, and this is from tests before with old grinders, is that we get somewhere between 16 and 17% extraction at busy periods, because that's what happens. I've been to coffee bars. When it's busy, everything tastes sour. It was happening at my shop, too. So that's what my expectations were. I was hoping for an average of about 18%. I thought that would be a good place. Uh, with a variance of about one and a half to two percent because it's you know actual live readings and I thought what we get was a starting point that we could improve and that I just keep the results to ourselves and we wouldn't tell anybody and that we could build on it what happened was quite surprising uh, so we can see with the data what Dave does he manipulates it in certain ways we can say extractions by barista which is quite valuable what this showed me was that the ones that had the most variance towards the right hand side uh, were the ones that had the least training. There's little point in me as a shop owner blaming them for that. That's my fault. There's a direct correlation between how consistent they were and how much training they'd received. This is also interesting. This is copied by extraction. Now, what skews the one uh, Kebel Kircher is that uh, it was a short sample size. I think there was two or three made. Um, and in my experience, Ethiopian coffees are quite difficult to extract as well. But given a larger sample size, what we can do is we can feed this back to the roastery and say, well, if this is extracting unevenly, then we need to look at it. 
we would cup a sample, make some coffees. If there's no problem, then we know it's a training issue. But what we're not doing is burying our heads in the sand. So this gives us actual quantifiable data that we can feed back into the system and help us improve. These are 240 espressos over May to July. So our tolerance is 18 to 22%, and our target is 19 and a half. This shocked me. This was uh, incredible, and it's the result of the grinder itself and the staff uh, being committed to making excellent coffee. This final page, you can see it on the far right-hand side, we have a mean extraction over this period of May to July of 19.509. Thank you. <laughs> well, I did clap for the shop, you know. Um, this, this looks like I made it up. I was putting this in earlier, I was like, they're actually not going to believe me. I didn't believe me. Uh, Dave didn't believe it when he saw it. And the great thing about this is that when we fed the data into the Google spreadsheet, it disappeared. We didn't see the results. It got fed into a data sheet, and we didn't know. And then Dave turned up afterwards and said, well, this is how you did. Um, so to see this come true has been uh, amazing. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that you could extract 22, then 16, then 17, 19, 5, then 22, 16, all over the place. But your average could be there. So you see as well, just below it, there's a variance of 0.678, which means that not only is it right on cue, but it's very, very consistent as well. Um, this to me is, uh, is wonderful news for us, but it's also wonderful news for specialty coffee in general. Because what we do is not difficult. And what we do, we tell everybody what we do, and we show them how to do it, and we move on again. And it's, more than anything, it's incredible for specialty coffee. Because like, I care dearly about coffee, and like I was saying at the start, the first event we ever did, two people turned up. And then we have an audience like this, and the coffee in the city is getting better, and all around the world, wherever I go, especially coffee is becoming more important. And we're seeing that value spread right away to the, the chain. And having a grinder that performs like this, as easily as it does, means that there's a future for specialty coffee. Because until now, I was worried that it wasn't viable, that we couldn't build businesses on it, that we couldn't pay people's wages, and pay our suppliers, and, uh, and contribute to the community. So to me, that's the biggest win, that we actually have an opportunity now to take great coffee and bring it to the average people on the street. So thank you very much for your time. I think we're going to field questions at the end so we can get Steve on. And uh, thank you very much for coming. Uh, do we want to... <laughs>